Well, we can turn into 1 Corinthians uh, again, as, <laughs> as um, Mark says, I, I do feel free to move around. Um, if I recall it properly... The Dominicans uh, have a, what do you call it, a kind of, you know how different my school when I was at school had a, two words, tene ferme, French, hold fast. What do you call it when you have a kind of, uh, sorry? A motto. That's right. And the Dominicans have a motto, if I recall it from long ago, contemplare et contemplata alles tradere, which is Latin for words that come from contemplation. Words that come from contemplation. Dominic, um, of course, and the Dominicans uh, resisted or turned away from, say, what became Trappists. You understand that many of the monastic orders in their beginnings were reformatory movements in the context of a dead church. You may not have realized that. But, for instance, Bernard of Clairvaux, that was reformatory in France, where many, the, the, the church in general was dead, and there were those who were hungry for God. And the Trappists and the Cistercians, they were a silent order, uh, much contemplation. In fact, one of the reasons we have a Bible, of course, is because these monks, many of them, spent a lot of time, sometimes very beautifully, writing and copying the Bible. Uh, you've heard of, you know, people in France, in uh, in Ireland, the uh, the monks in Ireland. You may have heard of the Book of Kells. And some very, very beautiful things. But the Dominicans, Dominic was about the same time as Francis of Assisi. And Francis of Assisi was a man upon whom the Lord came. And it was a time of refreshing for multitudes, actually. And the form in those days was that people joined their orders, and um, what was the lady? Claire was her name. So there was an order for ladies as well. But Dominic didn't want simply to be contemplative. So he felt the burden to preach. So the monks went out, the friars, weren't they? And they went out into the villages to preach 
And so there the principle was words from contemplation, words that come out from the quiet place. And their lives, of course, were very strictly um, registered. And you may not realize that, in fact, I think many of us don't realize that in the context of the um, 16th century, late 15th, early 16th century in Europe, you know, there was this beginnings of a stirring that... uh, focused around bringing the Bible into the vernacular so that the ploughboy could read the scriptures. Who said that? Do you remember? Sorry? That's right, Tyndale. And um, who else was there who preceded Tyndale? But anyway... I'm not here to give a sort of potted church history. But one of the results of all this, in what we call the Reformation, has been, in a way, the replacement of the quiet life before God and contemplation and being before him and in the stillness, a replacement by simple Bible in the middle. And uh, Bible, Bible, Bible. Believe the right things. Believe the right things. Believe the right things. Get your doctrines straight. And so on and so on. And you'll be okay. And so one of the things that especially evangelicals have departed from and have been very afraid of is quietness and stillness and silence. I'd much prefer to go into an Anglican church, generally, than go into a meeting where there's canned music in the background or the band playing. I'd rather go in to the atmosphere of stillness because the true words of God come from the quiet place, from silence. You only have to open your Bible and discover that everything begins in silence and the Spirit of God brooded over the face of the waters And it was still and it was silent, though the spirit was brooding and vibrating, waiting, expecting, waiting for what? And of course we know God said, let there be light. Light be, as it is in the original. Light be and there was light generally speaking what we've had in society and churches is noise 
Noise to noise, noise to noise, noise to noise. Not words that come from silence. And if you really hear God, you will discover that God will lead you to silence. So it comes from silence. And it goes to silence. It leads you to the only thing you can do is be still and know that he is God. And those things you will probably hear few people say what I've just said. The whole purpose of the ministry is not to instruct our minds but to bring us to God. And I have failed miserably if at the end of a meeting like this all you do is understand some truths a bit better. If not if there is not along with truth a greater sense of the wonder of God, of the Father. For instance, if I was to say to you a very famous scripture uh, that's found in John's Gospel, when the, this scripture was referred to in our morning meeting this morning, where I was with my wife, and the, the famous scripture is, of course, Peter had said, and so said they all, I'll die with you. And Jesus very lovingly said, no, Peter, before the night's out. This is John 13. And Jesus said, no, you won't. And if you were to remove the chapter division, which you should do, because it upsets the rhythm so often, You might know that uh, that scripture, you know, well, I'll read it to you. um, Just, I said turn to Corinthians and here we are already (laughs) somewhere else. But in the end of 13, will you lay down your life for my sake? That's verse 38 of John 13. Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, or the old version says, verily, verily. There's no, there's no getting around this, Peter. I say to you, the rooster shall not crow. <clears throat> Notice what my Bible said. Uh, the rooster shall not crow tells you that this Bible comes from America um, because rooster is their word for what we would say before the cock crow. (laughs) And so this is American English. The rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your heart be troubled. Just... Just scrub round the chapter division and read it on. They were all troubled. The whole lot. They all said that they would not forsake 
If you check the other Gospels, they all said. And these are the apostles of the church without the Spirit. Let's listen to that very carefully. These were the apostles of the church who yet had not the Spirit indwelling them, bringing with them all the values that came from the bloodshed and poured out life of Jesus. They had known empowerments for certain functions but they did not know the life of Jesus in their inner beings until after Pentecost, at Pentecost. Because the life of Jesus carried to them in the Spirit was not available till the life of Jesus was poured out. He had to be broken. The alabaster had to be broken. And that's very important. And many of the church's problems, the priestcraft you find in the churches, the elitism that you find, many of these things, even the place of music, as it has become latterly, is rooted in Old Testament Jewish practices and rituals not in the work and ministry of the Spirit in the New Covenant. So if I apply that, let not your hearts be troubled, you precious apostles, you precious ones, you chosen ones, the ones given to me by my Father, you dear ones, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. I know you do. Believe also in me. Believe also in me. Is that remarkable? And probably some of you know that the in, believe in me, Believe also in me ought really to be translated into. Prepositions in the Greek have uh, elements that are to do with movement through and into and in and upon and under. It's all to do with position and movement and from. And this one is, you believe in God, believe also into me. Out of yourself. Out of your religion. Out of your sin. Out of it. Believe in to me. The implications of that are profound. You know, they're profound. It's like the Lord Jesus, you remember, came preaching the kingdom. 
And he said, the father, you know, he said, the kingdom's at hand. And you'll never get into it. Unless you're a little child. Don't think of geography. Don't think in terms of... And the same thing is true here. Don't think of geography. In my father's house, you know, are many dwelling places. Don't think geography. Don't think location. Don't think heaven. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also don't think geography don't think heaven where was Jesus where was Jesus at that point where was he in his heart? Where was he in his mind? Where was he? Where was all his affections? Where was he dwelling? That's what you must think about. That where I am, where do all your problems spring from? My problems spring from because I do not dwell where Jesus dwelt and dwells still because we dwell in our own minds we dwell in the, in the society in which we live too much we're dominated by changing fortunes governments and I don't know what Jesus dwelt somewhere deeper Hallelujah. And where I am, there you may dwell also. I've got to go away so that I can bring you there. That through me you can come. And then he expands it in 14, 15 and 16 and prays for it in 17 of this gospel where he talks about I've got to go away, otherwise the Spirit can't come. And when the Spirit comes, I'll come and my Father will come and you'll be in me and I'll be in you and that's where you'll be living. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that's when you'll have the peace that he talks about at the end of 14. It's very wonderful when you begin to realize these things. You know, I didn't understand that earlier on, except I think I understood it in a kind of intuitive way. 
Oh, God. There must be more than heaven. There must be more than what's on the earth. There must be more. There must be more. Oh, God. From you I came, to you I must go. To know you, this is everything. My daughter sitting there, I think she sometimes sings a song that was written by a friend of ours in, in Canada. Um, to know you, this is everything. To enter holy through. You know, to know you, this is everything. And you may wonder what's all that got to do with uh, 1 Corinthians. Well, if you go into the 15th chapter, you'll find that uh, Paul has something to say to these precious people in Corinth. He says in verse 33 of the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. What's he saying? Most of your problems, Corinthian church, are rooted in the fact that you don't know God. How about that? How about that? You don't know God. God requires time. You want to know what God is like? Look long and hard at Jesus. That's why you've got four Gospels. Peter down there shared a little word this morning just from one chapter in the Gospel of Luke and read a few verses and made a few comments. I couldn't help thinking I could have got up and preached straight away after him. There's nothing better than contemplating Jesus. It requires time, but it requires the Spirit. That's why Jesus wants to immerse us in the Spirit. I use that word instead of baptize. Immerse us, just to give another thing. And that word baptism in the Spirit, and you must remember that John Baptist, he in his preaching, he was a Baptist, wasn't he, in the element of water. There comes one after me who's greater than I. His shoes I'm not worthy to take off. 
And he shall baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fan is in his hand. And he shall be on his threshing floor. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So if the word baptize offends you, let me just mention this to you, that in the days of the, the, that that was first spoken, baptism, one of the uses for the word baptism was used in the process of dying. Dying. Cloth. Enough said. I can remember my mother when my white shirts, my school shirts, got all that grubby, you know. Um, tide was in, but dirt was not out. <laughs> and uh, did you remember that? That dates me, doesn't it? Tide in. Do you remember that advertisement? And um, Tide was a kind of, uh, what do you call it, detergent. So tides in, dirt's out. But anyway, <laughs> uh, funny what things come back to your mind. But um, you know, I remember my mother getting my the grubby old white shirts with grubby collars. You know, in the fifties, in the nineteen fifties, and uh, she would buy some very pale blue dye or something. It was in a block, and she would sort of melt this block in, I think it must have been hot water. Then she'd get my grubby shirts and put them under and she'd shake them around and, you know, and shake them around and dunk them and shake them around. It was quite an operation. She'd let them soak and then she'd check them. Mum was very efficient in that sort of stuff because it was saving a few dollars buying, pounds, buying another... um, shirt for her grubby son but uh, (laughs) it's interesting the process of dying so that what's in the water is in the shirt is that right? and understand that's what lies one of the meanings that lies behind the word baptism That doesn't happen when you're baptized in water. Aren't you glad? You'd be dead, wouldn't you? Drowned. (laughs) And it would only, but uh, this is what the Lord Jesus wants to do for us. So that we're in the Spirit and the Spirit's in us and what's in the Spirit. (laughs) Just like that die was in the water tell me what's in the spirit the spirit of God well you know Jesus is in the spirit and the father's in the spirit you got me you know so that it's not a zap on my forehead and I fall down and collapse and have some pillow time It's sharing God's life. It's very wonderful. And you see, the Corinthians had departed from these kinds of things. And some of them, at least, some have not the knowledge of God. 
They don't know what he's like. They don't know communion with him. They've departed from communion. Instead, they're communing with ideas and, in some cases, false teachings that were being brought in. And they're they're communing around things that are so, so awry. That is why, of course, if you go back into the 8th chapter, you'll find that as Paul is speaking and writing to them about some of the the issues to do with questionable practices. He says this, chapter 8, verse 1. Now concerning things offered to idols... We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. Love builds up. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. By the way, as you read 1 Corinthians about church life, The question that you should always ask is not, was the music good? Was the preaching good? Was the singing good? Was that prophecy good? Was the meeting good? The question you should ask is, did it build up? Did it build you up in your inner life in God? Not did it inform your mind. Did it build you up? Did it build up faith and love and hope? Did it build up? That's the Corinthian letter. The word, of course, is edify. Edify. Did it build up. That's a challenge, you see, because Paul is going to say in this letter, and this is very important, and I see this for sure on some of the things I look at on YouTube when I listen to a a meeting or a bit of a meeting or a bit of a preacher. Paul says in this letter, Your meetings do you more harm than good. Did you know that? Your meetings do you more harm than good. Isn't that staggering? To actually gather (laughs) in meetings and be squabbling or be divided from one another or listening to teachings that are unprofitable and not building you up. And so I can freely tell you that probably 70% of what I listen to in Bible seminary 
did not build up, except it did puff up. It's amazing. It's amazing. Doesn't mean to say that in any way that you shouldn't, uh, if you feel it, you know that God is leading you to a college or this or that or the other. Of course I'm not saying that. But I am saying that you must learn and I must learn to discriminate what is going on. Because in the churches you understand that uh, what is it? Um, Some of these inoculations that people get It gives you a little dose of the disease, doesn't it? And in some churches, a lot of people are getting a little dose of Jesus. And it's doubly difficult to bring them into the real. Isn't that incredible? So they talk and call flesh spirit and spirit flesh. I don't understand. You see, as we begin to contemplate these things, we begin to realize how serious it all is. Knowledge puffs up. They had knowledge about this and knowledge about that. These Corinthians. And here you go down and he says, verse 2. This is one of the marks. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet, as he ought to know. Do you feel like that? I would say that after sitting an hour or two this afternoon, again with the Lord, two or three hours, Just thinking about this evening and thinking, you know, that's where I end up. Oh Lord, I don't know anything. Often I feel it. More and more so as I go along. Oh Lord, you're more wonderful than words. I don't know anything. I don't know. I don't know you as I ought to know. I don't know your mercies as deeply as I ought to know them. I don't know the tenderness of your heart as I ought to. I don't know the preciousness of a soul as I ought to. I I don't know. I don't know about Calvary. I touch the edges of your ways as the, is it the Job scripture? edges of his ways so one of the marks for us of course which was not a mark of the Corinthians sadly they thought they knew they thought they knew and possibly one of the things that's been working in your life as the older that you have got (laughs) is that you begin to taste your own weakness which leads you to a dependency upon the Lord that's richer and more wonderful 
But one of the marks that we're going on in the Lord is that uh, we realize that I know nothing as yet as I ought to know. I know nothing as yet as I ought to know. But if anyone loves God, and these are very simple things that I'm wanting to focus on this evening, but you see, that's a very searching thing. And anyone loves God. I, late at night, Sometimes in the middle of the night, on my Kindle, in the dark, if I wake up, sometimes I pull out on my Kindle, St. John of the Cross, who wrote some poems, lots of them in fact. And at the moment, I'm just enjoying a line or two in which on it's called romances romances strange word not male female romance but he's thinking about god in the trinity it's translated from the spanish and you know it's it's all based on and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. And you know two lines of that and it's tremendous. And in one of the lines or two of the lines he says something like this. You know the father and the son are talking about love and about, you know, how the Son loves the Father and the Father loves the Son and their eternal life together of love and their love flows in the spirit of love. And they, I mean, these are things that I've thought much about for, for decades. But to see them put into words by a man of great gift, And uh, it says this, and uh, the son is saying, no, the father is saying to the son, Oh, son, I do so love those who love you. And the son says back to the father, Oh, father, I do so love those who love you. (laughs) You know, it's another world. (laughs) If anyone loves God, the same is known of God, you see. And so I have have to look in my heart and say, well, you know, Lord, do I love you? If if everything else was stripped away, like that uh, fellow wrote, didn't I? When all is stripped away, you know, and uh, I'm going back to the heart of worship <clears throat> you know you know what we're saying to, to love God oh Corinthians where have you gone where's your love 
What a test. Here's a, a movie to recommend to you. Um, I've forgotten what it's called. Is it called Tortured for Christ? It's, um, it's uh, Richard Wormbrand. It's quite well made. Uh, just going through, you know, his faithfulness. He loved God. Love God. You know, the church needs to be prepared in these days. As long as I live, it's what, by God's grace, I shall do. Try to prepare the believers for the realities of persecution that are very near. Because it is. There are days coming where the Lord's people are going to be sifted just as they were in China and are still, just as they were in Russia. I often preach in Slavic Russian churches in the United States. I'm interpreted into Russian. And I know a number of the people and churches over there and some of the oldies, their sons and daughters moved to the United States, migrated, and in time the old parents came. And they try and settle down in carnal the United States and the carnal churches. And I know men who've gone back, and women, and they've gone back to Russia. They can't stand it. The superficial. They go back. Men who've known persecution. I've listened to some of them speak. I've asked them to speak. I've asked them to, before I preach, will you speak to us for 20 minutes? Just tell us about what you went through. Same thing in China. Same thing in Myanmar when it was called Burma when I used to go there. And it's coming. And we need to be prepared. There was a Czech Roman Catholic priest who was a communist and became a Christian. Actually, he was a Slovak. And God really got hold of him. And during the reign of uh, Hitler, Nazism, you remember, they went into, into the into Czechoslovakia and took it over. And he knew that fascism would be defeated in his spirit, the Lord showed him. And he knew that the Russians would turn, and that Stalin would turn, that the whole wicked apparatus of communism would come in. And he gave his life till he died to prepare little groups of young people, Christian young people in the churches in Slovakia to prepare them so they would know how to worship and know how to know the Lord and go on with the Lord when the inevitable persecution came. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. 
You see, what comes under test in those days is your love for God, your love for Jesus. Do I love him? Is he my all? These are things you discover about yourself when you're in places of loneliness. When you're in places of isolation. And I will tell you what happens to you. You'll be like Oswald Chambers who used to love to go out into the desert in Egypt and just be with God. And you'll be like other men and women who that was their place. You'll be like C.T. Studd when he was first in Africa and he would have his tent, sleep in his tent, live in his tent, get up early, very early in the morning before light in his tent and sit with God in his tent in the stillness and the quietness. And then the black people would begin to gather round his tent before dawn rose. They'd come. And when the sun was up, he'd come out of the tent and he would deliver to them what the Lord had delivered to him in the quietness. You know, the presence of God was so real to him. (laughs) He loved God. You know, and so from Many places, you know, the testimonies come and, you know, if anyone loves God, that one is known by him. The word known, you all know what know means. It's not something to do primarily with the intellect. It's to do with intimacy. You probably know that in the Bible. You remember the first time that the word know is found in the Bible. Can you remember the first time K-N-O-W is, is recorded in Scripture? And Adam knew his wife. And she conceived to do with intimacy. It's to do with intimacy. Primarily. And the Lord says, I want to know you. And I think that you'll discover that that's one of the (laughs) the great elusive things. Any husband sit here sometimes, sit in his home place with his wife across the mantelpiece or something. And do you have a contemplative motive, a moment? And say, oh my dear, I hardly know you. (laughs) What's down there inside you? I want to know you. And do do you have that with one another sometimes? You know, God has made us like that. We're made in his image. The Father knows the Son intimate the son is intimate with the father the spirit is the spirit of communion intimacy 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Tell me, blessed Holy Spirit, who are you communing with? I want your communion. Oh, I'm communing with the Father and with the Son. I'm the Spirit of their communion. Oh, the communion of the Spirit be with you. Oh, what have we got to come into, eh? What bliss, what treasures have we got to enter into? What gifts does the Spirit want to reveal to us? What treasures of fellowship and joy and peace and amen are we poor enough is there enough room in our hearts for him to pour in his riches (laughs) blessed are the first one poor in spirit in spirit in spirit, where all our self-assurances and prides, you know, and the riches of our degrees and doctorates and I don't know what, mean nothing. Hallelujah. God is everything. This is church. I'm talking to you about real church. That's what I'm talking to you about. Where when people come in to your church, they're convicted by the very presence of the Almighty. And if he begins to speak through, this is all in Corinthians, if he begins to speak through his gifts, a person will say, an unbeliever will say, the Lord is among you of a truth. It's amazing. You'd be amazed how ignorant we are. Dear Jacob, eh? Blundering around in his endeavours to do God's will till he was chased out of his place and he lays his head down to get some rest on a stone (laughs) and he sees a ladder. You know, you remember the story? And it's he sees heaven and earth connected by a ladder and angels going up and down. That's what a church is. It's a place where heaven and earth connect. That won't be true here next Sunday night. Because we won't be here. They'll be watching a movie. That's why we're not here every week. Well, it's a community hall. The Lord bless them. I hope the movie's a good one and not something stupid. But anyway, (laughs) you you see, the church is the place. Because you remember, Jacob dreamt this. He saw the ladder, heaven and earth. Communion between heaven and earth. Angels going up and down. Angels going up and down. By the way, the new covenant's much better than angels going up and down. 
What did Jesus say? Chapter 2 of John. That's you, and you know, I'm challenging you. He, he talked about it. He said, oh, oh you're, you're see a, a going up and down on the Son of Man. Do you remember? He was talking to Nathaniel. Do you remember? Behold an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Isn't it wonderful? You see, it's much better. Oh. And then dear Jacob wakes up and he says, Oh God, God's in this place. And I knew it not. Yeah, that's, that's your ignorance. God's in it. God's in this place. Do we know it? Ah, God's there. Yes, uh, this morning in the little place where we were, the school hall. God's in this place. Let the earth keep silence. Let the flesh shut up. Amen. Amen. That's church. God's in this place. And I knew it not. And he put the stone up on end, didn't he? You all know the story, don't you? He put the st- something solid. Amen. A rock. And then he poured oil on it. Amen. And Jesus is in the rock and the oil is the Holy Spirit. And that's where the church is. And nowhere else. Where the rock is. And where the anointed, blessed presence and work of the Spirit is. That's Bethel. He called it Bethel, didn't he? Which means house of God. Hallelujah. There's no more powerful place in Liverton tonight than this meeting. That's the truth. It's the place where heaven and earth meet and where two or three can be gathered together in one place in his name. Things are done. That's the thing. And the devil's against that. If he can divide, if he can break up, if he can split, if he can preoccupy our minds, if he can turn us away from God, if we can turn us away to our college degrees, to our theology, our doctrines, and this, that, and the other, until they become the thing that we are worshipped, that we are worshipping, we're lost. You see, it's when the church is like that. In God. Hallelujah. Dear old George Fox, eh? going around he was a sober boy he was well known in his little village in Leicestershire as being very sober and holy and I don't know what and had this intuitive sense of God and he longed for God and it was in the days when well the, the, he said he went to the priests He began to search. He went here. He went there. He went to some of the meetings of the ranters. 
and the seekers and the different ones for many groups were trying to find God outside the organized church which generally was stone dead and he went after and he went to this priest and that priest and he asked them he asked them well Will you, will you show me? Will you tell me? Will you lead me to God? My condition is unsatisfied. <laughs> and he's, he became more and more disillusioned, dis- disheartened. And he couldn't find God in the steeple houses, as he called them. And he couldn't find God among the ranters. And then one day, I think he was sitting solitary in a field and he heard the voice of God. There is one who is able to speak to thy condition, young man, even Jesus Christ. And his heart took flight and he realized the simplicity of loving Jesus, that Jesus was all the seed within him. And of course many others were ready to listen to what he had to say and others. And it was a holy movement that began in those days. Amen. He had a revelation. And some of the things that I'm saying to you tonight maybe having something of the quality of revelation. Revelation exceeds teaching. Revelation must have primary place in the household of God. Not the teacher, The revelator, the one who God has gifted and revealed to. And that brings me back here to verse 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom There's that little preposition again, of whom, ek, out of. Out of whom are all things, and we for him. And one Lord, comma, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. However, 
there is not in everyone that knowledge. It's that knowledge in you. For, for you there's one God, the Father. And he's the fountain of everything. He's the one that you look to. He's, you see, Jesus is not terminus. Jesus is not terminus. Jesus is the through whom are all things and through whom we live. Where does he want to bring you? Where does he want to bring me? Where does he want to bring the church? He wants to bring the church into one life through one baptism into one body to us all there's one God and Father of all there is one hope everything is one and as I said earlier it is the enemy of souls whose intention is to splinter us off from God splinter us off from one another to isolate us to to atomize the church into my gift all these things were going on in Corinth my gift I'm a tongue speaker and I'm very friendly with my tongue speaking buddies They lacked wisdom and they did not understand the the preciousness of the value, the comparative value of the different gifts. Prophecy is of much more value than tongues. I'd rather speak a thousand words with my understanding than 10,000 in tongues. Paul is going to tell us. I'm, I'm running ahead because I want to go into detail in some of these studies if God gives us opportunity into the working of some of the gifts. Because, you know, the church is not really a church as it could be a church if it lacks gifts because gifts are simply means by which the Lord grants concretization of his love did you did you understand that that a prophecy is a way that God wants to lovingly speak spontaneously to his people. Perhaps to one or two of them in particular. In a meeting. That discernment of spirits is a way in which God concretely shows his love to help a person to be loosed. Perhaps through someone else 
loosed, perhaps in their own, so that they begin to read their own spirit aright. Not just evil spirits. So they begin to understand themselves and what makes them tick and why they are like they are and to help them get free. All these things are not objects of display. They're not means by which someone shows off. But this is what had occurred in the Corinthians. Can you see the, these things had become a kind of badges of honour instead of wonderful ways in which God expresses his love. So a teacher, he teaches not to display his expertise or knowledge. It's a way in which the Lord expresses some of his love to his people, a prophet, uh, an apostle, a healing sometimes. Oh, sometimes it's so wonderful to see. On occasions I've been privileged to see God heal people. And the overwhelming sense of it is the love of God. You know, the love of God. That he loved this, you know, sometimes it's tremendous to see it. He loved, Peter was on it this morning, touched on the widow of Nain. (laughs) You know that widow, she's coming out and he's just passing by the Lord Jesus. And her only son and he's in the beer you know he's he's died and oh the Lord's full of compassion and just says stopped it you know stopped the procession and he loved them you see love makes the gifts flow love for God You can't have love for God. (laughs) Except with it comes love for people. I just dropped into a house in Chudley on the way to the meeting tonight. And uh, I've never met the lady before. I was getting another project chair for the princely sum of £10 to fix up. And... uh, (laughs) um, You know, the lady there, she's, you know, she opened the door. She was quite a pleasant lady. I don't know what age she was, but I called her Justin by mistake instead of Justine. So she's somewhat offended. And, and, you know, I just, I think she was a bit taken back. I, I said, you know, I just sort of stretched my arms out. I said, do you want a hug? <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. And she's a bit sort of shocked. And she said, oh, <laughs> she said, I said, you do realize you're precious, don't you, Justine? You do understand you're precious. You see, that's the thing. People are precious. I didn't want to get your name wrongs. 
sorry. You know, and so we had a little chat. Well, what do you do? You know, you can imagine you saying, well, I'm a part-time, uh, part-time chair restorer. <laughs> Uh, no, no. Uh, it was so it was so cheap anyway that you know Art Deco this one. But anyway, um, but, but you know this is the preciousness of people. You see, you the more you love God, the more you value one another. You love one another, and the church becomes a home of love. And it stretches out its arms with love. And I know that many of us, many of us have suffered in our churches. I realize that. I realize that. And leaders of churches suffer. Sometimes it's partly their own fault, but not all. And I know that these sorts of things can turn us sour. Or, if you yield to God... Those very snares that almost caught you, you know, they can become stepping stones to greater blessedness. I mean that. I mean that. But this is, these are the things that, I'm, that are all in this letter. And our responses to these things, I'm just looking at the clock, our responses to these things will will discover to us whether we grow up. Whether we grow up. So that if I go back with you into chapter 3 and take you there and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people but as to carnal as to babes in Christ I fed you with milk uh, and not with solid food for until now you were not able to receive it And even now, he was still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like men? (laughs) And You know, these things are incredibly searching, aren't they? Behaving just like men. So, to be spiritual means you're more than a man. In fact, I don't even like to put it that way. Tertullian said the soul is naturally Christian. That's what he said. The soul is... What a strange thing to say. What he's saying is that the man who really comes to God through Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit, his soul comes back to normality. 
the soul. In other words, I'm becoming a proper human being because God is in me. You're becoming a proper human being. Your soul is becoming a proper soul. You're becoming a living soul by being born of the Spirit. And if you are born of the Spirit and growing up in Christ and not circling around your personal miseries, but growing up and not circling around your set and your group, you know, as the Corinthians were doing in their division, divisive states, and they were, they were circling around their pride and their ideas and so on. If you are growing up and not circling around those things, you're becoming properly human. You're becoming a delight in the earth. Your mind is becoming lucid. Your heart's affections are beginning to run free. You know, you're being loose from bondage to shyness. Self-protection disappears. And you begin to give yourself. Give yourself. Give yourself. And walk unafraid through life. Alleluia, the pure in heart shall see God. The pure in heart are those who are simple enough to love God first. The pure in heart are those who see God, they see God in everything. They trace God in the affairs of their lives. They see that they're surrounded with miracles. The pure in heart begin to see God in his creation and they don't worship it. That's the thing. They begin to see God. They begin to see God in the COVID. They begin to see that God is sifting his people and seeking to empty us of things only to fill us with himself. That he's wanting to take away the things wherein people have trusted so that possibly their hearts are a little unfrozen in his presence. I was saying to someone last week, I don't remember who it was, but you know, as you meet people, my brothers and sisters, as you go round, as you meet your neighbours, they roughly fall into two categories. Everyone has walls around them. Everyone has built up their protective mechanisms. Everyone. But the walls, generally speaking, are of two types. There is the ice wall. Where a heart is frozen. And they built up a wall of ice around about them. And there are others, often more the religious types. But they've built up their wall and they've manufactured their own bricks and cement. And they have built up their wall around themselves of brick. And you will find that those who have an ice wall 
what God will seek to do with your love, your presence and your gentle words sometimes is create that coming of spring. You know, when we lived in Canada, you know, it was staggering to me to see the swift change that would suddenly come. You know, mountains of snow here and there and everywhere where the snow plows had cleared our parking lot and all that, you know, great heaps. And then the temperature would just rise above freezing, hold up to 35, up to 36, up to, you know, I'm in uh, Fahrenheit there. And up into, uh, you know, the 40s, the low 40s, and suddenly it's all gone, it's all melted. That's what the love of God can do with some hearts and the walls go down. And it's a process that some of you may yet be in. And there are others. And oh, I tell you, sometimes it's hard to be around when the hammer of God's love is falling, smash, to smash the walls down that have been built up to make a highway for our God. <clears throat> and roughly speaking, the people that you meet will fall into one or other of those categories. This is part, you know, discernment. Discernment, my brothers and sisters, is an accumulation of understanding that has grown over years mixed with specific light that God gives you in a particular instant. I think I said that to Mark years ago because he asked me in a particular situation how did you know Partly because of specific discernment. Partly because of the accumulation of knowledge that comes through years. Mm. But it's all just to show love. And I think that day love came to that particular person. The love of God. Loosed that particular one. Glory to God. You see, these are, aren't these wonderful things to talk about? Isn't it wonderful that the Lord wants us to grow up into all of these things? Isn't it wonderful that God, the church is a, a place where we're all learning. I'm still learning. No one arrives. No one knows as they ought to know. I don't I look back and someone says to me oh I, I heard a message that you preached in 1976 it was on one of those cassettes and it came into my hands has anybody still got cassette players around man alive but anyway uh, you know <laughs> and I, 
I almost groaned, 1976, whatever was I like then? Oh dear. (laughs) You, You understand what we're talking about? Let's grow. Church at Corinth, grow. Don't be carnal. You know, I go back into the second chapter and, you know, I come back to this wonderful... You know, I commented a couple of weeks ago, it's all about God, the origin of everything, chapter 1. And Jesus, it's all through Jesus, Christ and him crucified. And there's not one mention of the Spirit in chapter 1, but having laid the ground of God the Father and everything coming from him and through the Son, then he'll come to the Spirit. And then he, he, he talks about the Spirit. Oh, even so, look here, in the middle of verse 11, even so, no one knows the things of God. This is chapter 2, verse 7. Uh, sorry, verse 11, in the middle of the verse. No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And I look at that and I put my Bible on my lap and I think, oh, except the Spirit of God. Wow. Haven't I got to have a relationship with the Spirit, eh? Haven't I got to make him comfortable? Comfortable. God comfortable. How do you make God comfortable? (laughs) You know, got to give him time. Got to turn the music off. I noticed something in a church. I went to this particular church. I've been going there for 10 or 12, 14, maybe 15 years. Usually once a year. Oh, I love that church. Lots of young men and girls in it. And uh, marrieds, families. I really enjoy it. And one time I... God gave me a vision in one of the meetings and I said I can see lots and lots and lots of saplings. This church is full of saplings. Young men are saplings. You've got to grow. Probably forgot all about that. Just carried on. Four or five years later, I was back there. And there was a men's gathering, about the same amount of men as there are people here. And I, I was talking to them. I think a lot of you are just beginning to grow a little bit. Do you want a little hint of how to grow more? I said, I suggest that uh, I know you're busy. Some of you have got big families of children. You get up in the morning, work, you 
commute to your work. You do this, you do that. You come home, the children, your wife's tired, everything like that. It's difficult to be quiet, isn't it? Yes, they all say. And I said, I'll tell you what to do. Turn the radio off. In your commute, got a 20-minute commute? Turn the radio off. Turn the music off. Christian music as well. Get it off and just be quiet in the car and say to the Lord as you begin your commute, Lord, I'm here. I just said that and then on the way home doing the same. And if it's possible, you might find a moment where the Lord, you sense the Lord is there. If you can, pull off the road for two minutes and just sit. More will be done in that time than you realize. It's not the amount of time. God knows you. I thought no more about that. And then three or four years later, I noticed a difference. Some of them were actually praying richly. Some of them were actually leading a meeting with sensitivity. And I noticed it. And I said to one or two of them at the end of my stint, tell me, what's happened? What's happened to you? I can hear something when you pray in the house meeting. I can hear something. There's something that's come into you. Oh, yes. I said, how did that happen? Oh, we did what you said. And I said, well, what did I say? And then they reminded me of what I just told you. We began to do it. And God began to speak. God began to bring verses of scripture back to me as I was driving. And I began to see, ah, the beginnings of revelation. The beginnings of understanding. The beginnings of that which is coming from God. That upon which God can build. Cultivating communion. The Spirit of God knows. The Spirit of God knows. Now it's quarter to nine and I should stop. And I did want to come to these things about building. Because that's where we come in chapter three. But all these things are rooted. He's going to talk about the church being built. And he's going to say, I know what I laid amongst you when I came. Foundation's been laid. Been laid. Now you teachers, you people, you're building on it. But I laid the foundation. And I know what I laid. Others are building on it. Better be careful. You builders. The Corinthian church 
was under attack from two sources. Two sources. The foundation had been laid. Paul had laid it fair and square. You can read what it is and you know what it is. They had been brought to a place of nothingness where Jesus Christ was foundational. He, him, relationship with him by the Spirit, what he'd done, that's the foundation. His death, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, his intercession at the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. It's not you, it's Jesus Christ. It's not religion, it's you, it's Jesus Christ. All that had been brought by Paul in the power of the Spirit and the foundation of the church had been laid, Jesus Christ. He'd gone away, others were building, Apollos included and passed through. Others were building, building, building. And some of them were using wrong methods, which Paul describes as wood, hay, stubble. That's been going on a lot the last 50 years. Wood, hay, stubble. Building. Not gold, silver, precious stones. That's how Paul is going to take it. That's one of the threats to the church. Wood, hay, stubble. Wood, hay, stubble. Seeker-friendly notions. Soft messages that avoid the cross. All kinds of things. But there's another threat. The wrong things, these false teachings, this wood, hay, stubble, will not destroy the church. Won't destroy it. You'll just impede its proper growth. But there's another threat that comes, and you can read this in the same third chapter, and we'll come on to it a bit next time, probably. There are false teachers that are actively moving around destroying the church they're a different group they were coming into the Corinthians false teachers in Galatian churches the false teachers were bringing all things all about you know back to the law back to the law back to the law back to the law that destroys a church God says those that destroy the church, I will destroy. He won't destroy the teachers that come and use wood, hay, stubble and just lead things away. He will, they will lose their reward, Paul says. So I'm running ahead of myself in saying that. But just to sort of get you into 1 Corinthians 3 into 1 Corinthians 3 as you think and I don't know what well I do know what, what I'm doing do you know true ministry should quicken prayer in us oh God your churches your churches your churches your precious people 
everyone can do that, can't you? Every one of you. Oh Lord. God is without favour toward, you know, I think of, you know, all the churches in this area. This is how I think. I don't think, oh, Roman Catholic from us. I don't think, oh, Baptist or this. I don't think like that. Do you think like that? I don't think like that. Oh, your people, Lord. Oh, your people. Your people, myself included. Your people. You know, some of us, um, I don't know how many different churches are represented here. Could be ten different churches here. Ten different groups, couldn't there? I don't know. Oh, your church. See, you've got to come right off your critical spirit. You've got to come right off it. You've got to come right off it. You've got to come right off your disappointments and the walls you've built up. You've got to let them melt so that the heart of God begins to rise. Oh, Lord, your church, your church. Your church. Your precious church. Make her ready. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, I said a lot in different kind of ways tonight. I do hope it's helpful to you. I do hope that it will quicken you. Prayer is not first of all words. Prayer is first of all being there. Just there before him. Just like Jesus is there before the Father. And it says he's interceding. He ever lives to intercede. That doesn't mean to say, say, he's forever saying, oh Esther, 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 Esther. You know, or Paul, 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 Father, Paul. We're all there in him. You got that? We're all there in him. Paul's there in him. Bernard's in him. Esther's in him. Put your name there. He's there before the Father, ever speaking for all of us. There in his being. What was that old hymn writer wrote, didn't he? My name, Augustus Toplady. My name from the palms of his hands. Eternity cannot erase indelibly it remains <laughs> you know it's, it's there it's more than in his hands we're in his heart we're his bride you know this is what Jesus thinks of you you know ah, and you think of that as you're there Do you have them on your heart? I wrote to someone in Australia today and I said to them, oh, you and all those people I knew those years ago, you're still right there in my heart. That's it. That's it. Oh, Father, your judge. (laughs) Oh, Father. Amen. 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 You're in his heart.
that old high priest used to carry that breastplate, didn't he? Isn't that marvellous, the breastplate on his breast. All those names, the precious stones. And on his shoulder, the two onyx stones. Amen. Do you know what onyx stone onyx is? Onyx is a black stone that if you cut into it, <laughs> it shows white. So can you imagine these black stones with the names on the shoulder, cut in white, in white, bright, against the black. Hallelujah. That's what the church is in God's eyes. Names, people. I've said this before. Forgive me for repeating it, but the old beast just has numbers. Six, six, six. <laughs> the Lord says names, 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 names. That book of the Revelation, I'll give you a new name. And my father's name. And I know that. Oh, I want to stand up and sort of dance myself at the moment. But then I've had the privilege of speaking to you for an hour and a bit. Hallelujah. Thank you for letting me let my heart out a bit. Oh, dear Father, dear, dear Father, we love you. We love you. Oh, you are our God. The things in the world, Lord, Lord, they shine brightly and tarnish quickly. Oh, Lord, they're brass. You are the gold. 